Welcome uh, to another episode of More Score. Um, we are so excited to be able to uh, be joined by David Newman again. And uh, David, how are you, man? It's been been a minute since we last chatted, but uh, but what's up? I'm doing good. You know, um, doing a little conducting. Uh, you know, it's been a weird couple of years for sure. So I don't know. I don't remember when we talked last, but um, everything blends together. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's. Yeah. Is kind of unfortunate. Well, I mean, one of the big things that we we see your name splashed across these Hollywood Bowl shows. And mm-hmm. for those who don't know, um, David has been. And please correct me if I'm wrong or or selling you short on any of this. Um, but David has been conducting for Hollywood Bowl shows for some time now. I'll ask you how long. Try not to make you feel too old. Um, but the uh, this t- your name is often on. The marquee, so we'll be driving by the famous Hollywood Bowl in L.A. and mm-hmm. see music of John Williams conducted, you know, with conductor uh, David Newman or mm-hmm. other sometimes other shows as well, um, playing score to picture in the Hollywood mm-hmm. Bowl. Which, for those who don't live in L.A., is an experience that you need to experience in your life at some point. So when you yeah. visit, make a point out of coming and seeing that. But. Um, but David, I kind of wanted to like talk through how that is coming back now from pandemic times. Now that yeah. you know the the Hollywood Bowl shows this summer, there's been several of those. How many of those did you do this summer? I did two. I did a Back to the Future, and then I did the John Williams thing that I've been doing every year for four or five years, maybe um, uh, splitting the program uh, with him. But but actually, uh, the film with live orchestra came back quick uh, after the pandemic just because it's popular it's simple to sell you know you 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 get a wide range of of audience Um, I know a lot of the orchestras are struggling with coming back from the pandemic and their whole business model with subscriptions and stuff like that but believe it or not the film with live orchestra seems to be entrenched in these institutions now um, I wish it was a little more adventurous. Um, I think there is a lot of art in film music, great film music that could be explored. Sometimes it's not with the most popular movies, etc. But as we sit now, uh, they're all doing it. And, and there doesn't seem to be any appetite to, to not uh, 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 you know, do it. Now, I don't know how if that will continue forever because, you know, most of the movies we're doing are like 80s and 90s. And, uh, you know, I don't see like Marvel hasn't been doing their movies. Uh, you know, it, it, it takes a certain kind of score to, to do this. So I'm not sure what the future holds for it, but there's so much wonderful stuff in our industry from its infancy to now uh, and in juxtaposition or in, in, in contrast to something contemporary, there's a lot of, you know, I'd love to do a, a whole evening of Twilight Zone episodes of Goldsmith or, or John, or J- John did, I, I don't know if John did, but Bernard Herman did six of them and Jerry Goldsmith did six of them. And then there are all kinds of other ones that are really, you know, like a Halloween program with, with, uh, Twilight Zone, you know, and they're small orchestras. And 
there are things that they probably wouldn't do because it's smaller. It's a little, you know, film music is sometimes has weird orchestrations and an orchestra is a very codified uh, institution. But um, anyway, you know, I did a lot. I did, I've been doing New York Philharmonic in Boston and Chicago, you know, all, all of these orchestras came back as soon as they could. And almost all of them did, did, did movies. It's kind of almost before they did anything else. I think we did in 21, we did um, Princess Bride at the Hollywood Bowl kind of right when they came back. It was early on, you know, because 2020, there was nothing. So I think they started basically in the summer of 21 is when it kind of ramped up again. And there was a whole bunch of movies, you know, and John's show was in 2021 right. too. Yeah. So one of the things that you, there's a few things that I made a note of as, as you were saying that, cause actually a couple things that we crossed into that I want to ask you about, mm -hmm. but um, you talked about being kind of, um, uh, maybe taking the next step with the music when you're playing some of these uh, live to picture, and maybe that could be a little bit more experimental in some ways. And I was curious about what that, like how you would view that, but also there's a performance side to this. You know, it's mm -hmm. not, this isn't just necessarily recreating exactly what the audience heard in the official version mm -hmm. of the film. There's, this is live in front of people. So how does the performance aspect of this change you know the way notes are played, or the way that well, the expression I, is. That that's a that's a that's an issue with everything. I mean, it, certain conductors like to be very idiosyncratic and do it the way they want to do it. I I come from a background where I'm trying to get it to be like it was in the film. It, it certainly I want it synchronized it, it, as it was in the film because without it being synchronized, you just don't you don't get the same level of, of of what the art is, you know. And I'm not saying every film score is worthy of this sort of thing that it's that it's art, but th this is the way their whole culture is. M most of their concert music that's been written is not played all the all the time either. So my goal would be to get the institutions to look at it as more of an art form, more canonical rather than just a sort of pops one-off, you know? Um, I, I, what these orchestras generally do is they have pop series that traditionally have paid for the rest of it. So if they're going to do, say, like they, they, they do these projects at the bowl with, you know, all kinds of, of, of extras. And, and they, they did DeValkyrie with the third act of DeValkyrie with a green screen. You know, it's very expensive to do that. There's no way that the ticket sales are going to pay for that, right? So what they do is they try, but that's their mandate. That's, they're a nonprofit organization. This is what they're there to do, is to do this kind of stuff. So... The, the goal would be to get film music more into that area where you could experiment a little bit. Sure, you can have a lot of stuff. You don't have to have just one, but a little experimenting here and there, I think, and building an audience for that, particularly in places like L.A. or New York or San Francisco that have rabid fan base for this stuff, um, is, is good. And 
It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Also, they tend to track what matriculates into their sort of regular programming thing. And it turns out it does, to some extent, matriculate. But I don't think a ton of effort is put into that necessarily as to thinking... What could we do with film music that's a little more edgy or contemporary that coincides better? Or could we do a concert that there is some film music and some other music? You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you could think of. But the the idea, the, the, the precursor of that is getting it to be looked at as an art form. It's very difficult to make a case to this kind of institution that film music is truly an art form. It just doesn't resonate at this point. It's too early on, or they're not experienced enough in it. Um, you know, there are these niche fan bases, which you guys service, that love this stuff. Um, sometimes they're a little conservative, too. But but uh, I think there's a core of people that would be, if it's presented right, it would be uh, interesting, you know. We tried to do that a little bit at the American Youth Symphony when my wife and I were on the the board. We tried to do seminars and th- things. You know, we picked a composer and did a, a you know, year. I mean, there, there are lots of things that you could do. It just isn't so easy to sell tickets. And the reason for Pops is to sell tickets without taking a lot of effort to, you know, and time-consuming marketing to sell it. You just announce Harry Potter and you don't have to do anything but sell the tickets, you know. That's my take on it. I've lived here. I've lived here ten years now, David. And um, last year we went to the Walt Disney con- Concert Hall, and mm-hmm. you did Home Alone there. Was that the first time you did something indoors during the winter? Uh, or was no, this a I new did. Idea? Uh, I don't remember this happening. All all the other orchestras, I've done stuff at their halls. You know, in 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 Philadelphia and Chicago, mm-hmm. and I, they do them all the time. Disney is a weird place because you can't sell the the back behind the the screen, you know? So they've never, and they do so much of it at the bowl. They have this, like you said, Matt, this really fantastic venue that's, that's known all over the world and movie, uh, you know, and, and, but the way, the way it's run, the whole thing with the Hollywood bowl is a unique experience that, you know, any of your listeners that haven't been should check out. It's just, it's an amazing Los Angeles ish experience, you know? I did a couple of years ago do Casablanca and something else I did. I did two movies and then and then uh Scott Dunn, the conductor um who's also kind of an expert on uh, uh Lawrence Rosenthal did um uh the you know James Dean movie The Rebel Without a Cause. So we did three movies on three mm. nights. That was really the first one. Then the pandemic it's, it sort of hit and then last year they do it, and we're doing it again this year. We're going to do Home Alone in December. Home Alone generally is used as a perennial for most most orchestras. 
do Home Alone either every year at Christmas or every other year. And they, you know, because it has a chorus and it, it, it sings Christmas carols and it's it's turned into, you know, they're always trying to find those too. They're, they're, they try to, I, I think Alan's score for um, Polar Express, they try to make into a, to, to a perennial. Some of them are easy, you know, Home Alone isn't a giant orchestra. Um, it does need a chorus, but it, it's a, fairly easy one to mount some of these others are hard but they're you know like movies like elf or fred claw i mean there are movies that that they could try to to do this you know the trouble is is it's expensive to produce these things you know it's 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 six figures at you know at, at the minimum to you know in the in the 100 150 to mount these things so that there is a a, a, a fair investment the orchestras don't invest in it there are producers that do it but it you know it's tricky but can you walk us through the process of of something like that like obviously home alone is probably most of these players have played home alone at some point not, not in the, the past movie. but oh no no it, 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 you take this is the thing is it, it, it film music just used to be a, a theme arrangements now we're playing the whole movie it this is what's to your point, Matt, you were asking about the performance part of it. And I've noticed, I've been doing this a lot since about 2011. I started the bowl in 2007, but really this film with live orchestra really took off when uh, West Side Story was mounted in 2011 at the at the bowl. It, I went everywhere that year, 11 places, you know, in, in, in Europe and stuff. And then it just, they saw, wow, we can make, you know, and then they started doing this. So, um, these orchestras have gotten better and better at playing it, but they're not, this is the full score. Home Alone has all kinds of stuff besides the little theme. It, it's It's got a whole vaudeville section, the last part of the movie. It's like Bugs Bunny cartoon music, you know? Um, at least that's what John, John calls it vaudeville. Like, like, um, uh, like, like he calls the, um, the barrel, the the barrel chase, in, not in Jaws, the the one in Indiana Jones where she's run, they're running around before he shoots. He calls that kind of cue a, a vaudeville cue because it's real sinking and it's real, you know, no, nobody nobody or very rarely would any of orchestra have played that cue. So, but the more they play it and you rehearse it and you perform it over a long period of time, they start to get it what it is, how to how to do it, you know. And to your point, Matt. Film music traditionally has been very, very performance-based because there's one shot at it, you get a recording, like pop music. That's pop music, you know. Yes, they'll tour, but, you know, it's not the real definitive performance is the recording, right? So now with film, with live orchestra, as I said, there's certain strictures, but if it's taken into this place that they live in, where they're doing Beethoven symphonies and Mahler and Shostakovich over and over in, in different ways, it puts it in a little different realm. It means the performance doesn't have to be absolutely perfect necessarily, but it needs to have the style. You know, if you're playing French music, Debussy or Ravel, you play, the orchestra play, you know, they play Wagner, they play it in a blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So there is that aspect, but they've gotten better and better and better, all of them. Their, their attitudes now are pretty much wonderful because they see you can't help it when you walk on stage and it starts and that film comes up, the audiences, there's a different 
they they view it like more like they're at a rock concert. So the guys in the Phil, the LA Phil, it says like when they're playing for for like um uh you know um uh, Katy Perry or or Christina Aguilera or something, it, it has more of that flavor in terms of the audience response. But you're you're playing cla- basically classical concert music with motives and themes that are developed, reused in a pretty 19th century composerly way. Yeah, there's a lot of variation and there's a lot of, you know, stuff, the different stuff. But essentially, an orchestra is a, a, a 19th century institution, you know. So it's got a lot of interesting, it, it, it has a lot of interesting things that I think could be done in the future. Whether that will happen or not, I, I, I don't. I don't know, but that's sort of my take. Art, can you kind of walk us through the yeah. maybe logistical uh, steps of this? Home Alone sure. being maybe an example of okay. something. If you have an orchestra that hasn't played it yet, where do you begin with that? How do you lead up to the event? Well, the, l- let's go back to, the, the, as I said, there are these producing entities. You know, there's there's the one the, the, the one that does all of John Williams stuff, the one that does Harry Potter uh, Disney does all of their own stuff. Uh, and there are other little ones here and there. And what they do is they choose a film that they think is worth spending $150,000 on to produce that they can get back, right? So now is this going into the weeds too much? Or, uh, or all right. No, this so, is no. exactly what we want. Okay, so they, you, what you do is you license it. Home Alone, I think, is... Universal, was it? Whatever, right? So you you speak with the powers that be at Universal. By now, there's people at each studio that they know who to talk to. They make a deal with them that of the gross amount of the rental fee that they're going to charge the orchestra, say the studio will take 15%, the composer will take whatever percentage, and, and, and the person that books it will take whatever percentage, and whatever's left over goes back into the coffers of the producer, Right. So they they get the film. Generally, you have to make an intermission because by law, the, not by law, by the union in the United States where most of this is done at this point, you can't go more than 90 minutes without a break. You can't do a two-hour hmm. film straight through unless you pay an exorbitant amount of money, which is, of course, is, is not what you want to do. So they find where an intermission is. Then they get all the elements... The stems, you know, you, the, the dialogue stem, the effects stem, what, whatever there is, basically Pro Tools files. They go into a, an online editing facility and they mute, you know, obviously they mute the music, though they will have the music for the conducting, which I will explain in a second. They make a performance audio video out of it. They might do a little, depending on the movie, clean up the dialogue. They might not have all the effects. Maybe they'll thin it, you know case-by-case case basis, and here's now your performance hard hard disk, you know, it's HD, right? It's, everything's, everything has to be, you know, transferred to HD. And then they, okay, so they do that. At the, in the meantime, they have to find all the music, and they have to engrave it. They have to start over and type, you know, put it in Sibelius or Finale or now Dora, you know, whatever it is, create a whole new score, and a set of parts that work seamlessly through, you know, each act. Very expensive. You know, you're talking thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars just to do that, right? 
but just the one-time cost, right? Um, then you have to make the conduct the video for the conductor, which has the streamers, flutters, whatever it is. That that is can be variable. It can you know there's there's kind of a state of the art now. There's also a bar and beat counter in the upper right hand corner. Sometimes there's time code, but generally now all there is is the streamers for you, a bar and beat counter, and then when the queue ends, there's an elapsed time between the next queue. So there's a countdown clock which is, we've learned that those three elements are absolutely crucial. We weren't always there with that. The countdown clock is really crucial because you can just zone out while you're waiting for the next cue, right? So they do that, then they take, they premiere it, they might work a little bit more on it. And then what happens is the orchestras, um, they rent it. So when an orchestra does, say, Gershwin, or Bernstein, they call up Boozy and Hawks, who have all that, and they negotiate a rental fee, and then Boozy and Hawks, or whoever the publishing house is, sends them the material, and then they perform it, and they send the material back, and they pay seven, $800, whatever it is. This is, you rent the movie, you get the parts, you get the film, you get a video person to run the film and kind of oversee the technology of what it is. But then the orchestra has to rent or buy their project. Most of them have now own it or, or they have a rental deal because they're doing so many. They hire the conductor. It's their orchestra. They sell the tickets and they keep all the box office. So the way the producers make money is through the rental. And obviously, you know, and they might rent it from thirty to seventy thousand dollars per series of concerts because you know they might rent Harry Potter and do four performances. So that would be a certain fee. If they did two performances, it would be another fee. And then the production companies keep adding to their portfolio, renting, re-renting because these orchestras do a lot of them several times, and oh, and try to get perennials as you were referring Kenny to like Home Alone. And then it pays for itself, and then it, and then they and then they invest it into the to the next thing. So the orchestras are really used to playing John Williams. I will give you that they are, because it's it's very noty. There's a lot of string playing that's it's awkward and and difficult. I mean, it sounds great. Everything of John Williams is orchestrated magnificently, by the way, but it's it's tricky to play. But First time Home Alone. I did. I premiered Home Alone at the Cleveland Orchestra in 2013. They never played it. They have no idea. You know, you have to tell them. I told them this is vaudeville. This is Bugs Bunny at the end when they're you know. It really is. And then in the middle of the movie is all these Christmas carols, and and then the end of the movie, this beautiful. You know, you do have to explain to them what the story is, just like you would in a, in a film session. If you really want to get the best out of musicians, you tell them stories. They, every, everybody's brain, musicians as well, they, they, it's hard to talk about. Yeah, you talk about softer, louder, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But mostly what you want is them to understand the story. Because if they understand the story, everything else is just much easier. It just comes together uh, easier. 
But again, and and really, it's the story as scored by John Williams yeah. in for that film in that particular case, right? Yeah. Like I'll tell it. Like like I tell this story all the time. I probably even mentioned it to you. Like in E. T. You know, at the beginning of E. T. There, it says religious, religioso, you know, in Italian, whatever. That's just a, a thing that we do in classical music. It, it's If you play the beginning without the music, it just sounds creepy. You put the music in, they're benevolent, they're nice. The alien ETs are nice people. They're not there to do anything mean, right? Then when the adults come in, you get this theme. The dun da 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 dun bum 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 da 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 That's the adult theme. And it's from a child's point of view. It's kind of simple, but scary. And you don't know exactly. Remember, you never see them. You never see the adults till the end, right? So you go through the film, and there's that beautiful harp lullaby scene when the mother's reading to Gertie a uh, uh, Peter Pan, right? And the harp theme, you know, it's a solo harp thing. I can't even think of another place Um did I tell you this story before? Am I repeating myself? Okay. Remember the harp no. thing goes da 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 and then it trills, which is a weird thing for a harp to do. Harp will gliss, but doing a trill. But the trill is like Tinkerbell's wings, fluttering wings, right? So you say that, that that like means something to them. So the camera comes back as the E.T. and, and, and um, Elliot, the, the kid, are watching his mother read a story to the young, you know, Drew Barrymore, Gertie, right? And E.T.'s never seen anything like this, I guess, because that, that's sort of the thing. And the camera moves out, out of the house, and then you see the van, and you hear that little talking, and a little flute player plays, bum, ba-dum, bum, bum, bum. So... It doesn't break the spell of the magic, but it's it it's it's so multi-layered because it's the it's the adults. But are the adults like children too? And remember at the end of the movie, the Peter Coyote character says he feels like a child. They're all children. You know, you know what I mean? This is what the art in, in my opinion, the art of film music is stuff like that. It's not emotive and then it's developed like this and done like this. It's the way it interfaces with the story and does something that you couldn't possibly do with dialogue visual or yeah visually he's pulling out so it's it's like the, it's like perfume coming outside but then it's these guys and then there's the motive that's associated with these guys but it's played in a flute really low which is a very sensual kind of dreamy area where the flute is if it's high it wouldn't do the same blah 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 this is this is what the art is of it and the way that that score unify the, the the way it sets up that last scene it's all going to that last scene and then the music in the last scene is really different than any of it it's not childlike anymore it's more mature I, I don't know how to describe it. it's it, it that's where that's where that that's what's so great about i think about that score there are lots of other little thing you know that harp thing starts with elliot's connection with et when you know he's kind of putting him to sleep you know when the strings are glistening right but it then it then it does this thing the scene that i just described 
and it's a harp solo, which I, I I really can't even think of another movie that has this that has a harp solo. I've never even thought like of that this. before, but I can't place anything either. Yeah, is there a so what you've just described those kind of story beats of you know specific musical things that I like as you're saying that I'm hearing in my head oh wow that would be extremely helpful to know if I was a musician yeah. trying to play something in a moment. It, and instead of imitating the sound, knowing kind of right. what the intent is. See, they don't here. like they don't like to be told, you know, this be more musical in this phrase. And such. I mean, sometimes you have to do that. They don't mind yep, being yep. told a story. So if you explain to them what's going on, you know, she'll know the flute player. He'll know that it's kind of there's a lot of French. There's a lot of Debussy in 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 ET. Or uh, 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 a reference to that bucolic pastoral kind of thing. They'll just so when they play it, they know. Oh, that's really important. What am I going to do with the? You know, they'll start thinking. You don't have to say anything and piss them off. You know, they get pissed right. off when you talk uh, too much. The other, the other area, and then I'll get off this is in Return of the Jedi, <laughs> when when Darth Vader takes off his mask when when he's unmasked to Luke, and it's just this old man with this smile. It's it's been Darth Vader, this horrible, evil icon of, you know, whatever, of, of, of the personification of evil. And it's just a, a, a father that's sick and tired. And, and, and then John uses the, 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 the motive with a, with a harp, just plays the motive with a, with a harp. I, I think the E.T. thing is a little more set up. I, I don't, Jedi's a little uh, weird the way, that movie I think got made and the way the score is. And I don't know that not everything I think was John's intention in that movie, but that area is just, it's another area where it just, it takes your breath away. If you notice it, if you notice that it's the Imperial theme played on a harp, you know, and, and how, yeah. and then of course it goes to, it, it, it goes right away to a, um, a big action scene. So you kind of miss it, but you know, that scene when he, Gosh, when he takes off his yeah. helmet, Jesus Christ, yeah. Well, so the conversations that you have about those specific scenes and, you know, we just kind of touched on, I don't know, maybe three or four different scenes. Is that what you do for an entire movie then? Yep. Well, it's the as, whole... As much as you can. You don't do everything. I mean, most of them have seen the movies. You know, it's like like yeah. we're talking. They, they all have kids. They've all seen the movies. So you just mention here and there... And it, this is my opinion, you know, and everyone has a different style. You know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable lording it over them in the sort of traditional conductor way where I'm the, you know, this isn't what this is. There, there's too much music to play to stop and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. It's better to give them a sense of where it's important, what's, you know, important. I do harp a lot on rhythmic phrasing so that i sometimes have to because there's a lot of film music that is just kind of rhythm and it's not it's motivic in a way it's not really thematic but it's like i remember telling when we did the um the uh, michael score the uh into darkness the star trek into darkness that that first scene where they're running around on that planet trying to get away it's just you know like for you know, while they're talking, propulsion. And like, yeah, they're talking, they're running. It, 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 it's, it, it's appropriate, but mm -hmm. 
but for the orchestra, it's you. You have to say something. You know, this is what's going. You know, they're they're running. It should be breathless. And and maybe we can phrase. You know, every whatever it is, stuff like that. And I do. And in West Side Story, there are there are certain things that you kind of always have to say about the rhythm. You know, staying, being, being a, a good rhythmic player, not just in playing it, but in really Im, Im, imbuing the 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 music with that rhythm ry rhythmic pulse, like what you're saying. But go ahead. Are you are you practicing yeah, with the no. orchestras then? I know you said no, you're no, touring rehearse, around. So how much no, time tour. are you? We don't tour at all. It's uh, it's well, okay. I I do. Even if you tour, I would run, I'd have a rehearsal to go through it. I, I've done, with Philadelphia, I've done several where I've done it at Philadelphia and then and then it's uh, Saratoga. You know, Philadelphia's outdoor venue, Saratoga. Uh, I'm sorry, not Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they have the Man Center, which is a, a sort of outdoor venue in um, Philadelphia. And then like um, the New York Philharmonic does Vail, Colorado, and, and other things. So that's sort of their faux outdoor arena they do do concerts in the park each one of these orchestras has an outdoor summer thing that they do like especially tanglewood tanglewood's the closest to the to the bowl though wolf trap is a, a really big going concern and ravinia which is where chicago symphony is but most of those are not owned by the orchestra you know the the la phil hollywood bowl is really unique in 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 term i've been to the waldbooner in um berlin which is a big outdoor venue that but there's nothing that i've seen in the world now i haven't been to asia maybe there was a that's like the hollywood bowl that's that that it does so much stuff and is able to do tons of film tons of classical music tons of jazz tons of world you know tons of everything and a, and a, a full musical theater weekend you know stage fully staged so yeah is there a um the the last kind of part of preparation i guess how many times has the orchestra played something new if you're assuming you're doing something new how many times have they played that before they perform twice, in front of an audience twice twice or three times depending on the movie i did okay. like princess bride we had two rehearsals it doesn't need two rehearsals but we did it i just did it in san diego with one rehearsal so it's not it's not like Princess Bride has 69 minutes of music. West Side Story has 110 minutes of music. Return of the Jedi has two hours of music. So there's no way. Got it. Okay. Return of the Jedi, we rehearsed. I did, I premiered all those films. I premiered the first three Star Wars that they did live with Works, which the, the three original, A New Hope and all that, and then The Force Awakens. So we did four of them over a month period. And we had three to four rehearsals for each one because they'd never been done before. But if I did, yep. if I, now I'm going to do it, I'll do it in Chicago next year or something. It'll be two rehearsals. It's just too, it's too much music to get through. And you can't even read through it in one rehearsal. But this all, this all gets sorted out by the producer. The, the producers also have a, a, a big technical writer. So there's a minimum size. There's a, you know, there are rules, you know, you can't do Star Wars with five violins, you know, Right. There's quality control in, involved in it, and and there is well, a minimum number of rehearsals generally too. But the orchestras can negotiate if they have a compelling reason to not do what they want, you know. Then, and and if the conductor, like I had to agree to do San Diego on one rehearsal. If I said no, they wouldn't have allowed them to do it. If, if you see right. what I mean, okay, yeah, yeah. 
Well, okay. So then one other thing I wanted to ask about is, you know, when it is the, the evening of the event, um, and kind of what the energy is like, and I know you're, you're a veteran now in these circles, Mm -hmm. but I imagine that this is probably it's, it's, you know, if you have a new composer coming in, let's say they just had some big film with some well-known score or whatever, they're playing that, that for the first time that it's probably a little bit daunting to come into a place like that and then have people filing in and filling up the state. And what is the energy like in, uh, in those experiences, in those events? It is an overwhelming experience for the orchestra and the conductor and the composer and the audience. I assume you guys have been to these, right? Some of these. Yes. Oh yes. The the joy. I don't know how else to describe it. And it sounds it just sounds so silly, but it's the joy of sitting together, watching a movie, and it's live, and there's kind of a danger aspect to it. How the hell are they going to get through this? And to, I, I, and, yeah. But from the stage, the joy that... And this is what I think these institutions were so surprised about, was the the joy in the audience, how much the audience that comes to this loves this and, and wants to be there and is forgiving. And it's a, it's a completely different experience than a, a, a regular concert in a way, not that a regular concert couldn't or shouldn't feel like this. Uh, where we are as an audience is very different than how this all started, you know, in, in the, the late, uh, 18th century, but it it is it is you 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 can't help but smile. I I don't know. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it, as they laugh and 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 the orchestras, you know, they're very jaded orchestras. I mean, they're they're a tough group. These guys, you know, and um, they just can't. You just can't help it. It just it imbues you with you know, like. I'll tell you how we. I have. I don't know if I did. I tell you the West Side Story and New York Philharmonic story that's germane to this question. I don't think so. Okay, we did 2011 West Side Story, the 61 movie, right? Natalie Wood, Richard Beamer, um, you know George Shakiris, um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Riff. Uh, what's his name? Oh, he's going to kill me. I'm forget. Uh, uh, Russ Tamblin, right? So uh, we did it at the Bowl. All those guys came, like Walter Mirisch, it was it was his company that did it. Um, George Kears came, uh, uh, Russ Tamblin came, da, da, da. there were a lot of people. And we, we wanted to introduce them to the audience, but we really didn't know what was going on. We didn't really know, you know. So I remember finishing the overture for West Side Story and the whole place fucking screaming, like screaming for like, halfway through that 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 opening after after it ends because it ends and it goes to that stupid sound of music aerial shot that he used later in sound of music (laughs) um and um we thought "Eh, yeah this hey maybe maybe this maybe we're on to something with this okay so we go to new york we only had two rehearsals in new york big mistake but um we learned that you know the first time west side story is Two rehearsals is not enough. But at New York, Marnie Nixon was there. A bunch of the Jets were there. A bunch of the Sharks. The girl, Velma was there. uh, uh, Sid Raymond, who was the arranger, you know, was there. Walter was there. And and, and Russ and um, 
George, who had won Academy. The only one that wasn't there was um, was uh, uh, what's her face, um, Anita. Uh, you know, I forget the actor's name. Um, uh, you know, who was uh, just in it? Uh, the the new one. Um, yeah, 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 um, yeah. I'm blanking. Right. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, um, uh, so Rita, yeah, no. Rita Moreno. I'm Rita That's Moreno. Right, yes. Okay, so who, who won uh -huh. an Academy Award for it, right? Uh, she didn't. She didn't show up. Um, it, Wesley Story has a very weird history, which I won't get into. But um, so at intermission, they allowed us to. We were going to introduce the guys. So I just came out. I didn't even practice. I had a sheet. I just read off a sheet. So I started reading names, and the audience started going like crazy. By the time I got to, you know, Marty Nixon, uh, you know. Uh, who the hell knows who she is? They all knew who she was. They all knew what she had done, right? All the 50s movies she had sung, you know, uh, you know, all that stuff with my father and, and, and My Fair Lady and, you know, all that. But when I read George and Russ's name, they were seated downstairs. The whole audience, with their cameras and everything, it stopped for 25 minutes, the show. They just would not stop wow. clapping. So... When we, we had no idea that was going to happen. So the next night when we did it, we put them up in the balcony because it was almost scary how this New York sophisticated audience went insane. I mean, insane. Yeah, very like disruptive. Yeah. And so I think at that point we thought, all of us that were doing this, that we're kind of on to something. There's something about this. And I don't know that we've figured it out exactly yet as to my point of how we started this conversation, but there is something about film music that's ours in the States kind of that's, that's, that's ours growing up. You know, I grew up in the seventies. Uh, we just, we just listened to that book. Um, uh, Leave the gun, take the cannoli, the story of the making of Godfather. And there's a, there was a great uh, doc about it. it, it I mean, you know, that's, that is my era of, 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 you know, that's when I was in my 20s and everything. You know, I, I, I have a great love for movies. Whatever I think of movies now or, you know, bad or good, the way it cycles and everything, there's just something particularly American and artful and cultural about movies. And the music is, to me, one, if not the most artful part of it that really hasn't been vetted yet. And um, uh, the, the more I know about, the more I learn about my father, the more I learn about the 30s and the 40s and these guys that most people, you know, I'm obsessed now with Hugo Friedhofer, who did Best Years of Our Lives, but a ton of other stuff and worked a ton with my father and I met him. I didn't know anything about him except I love that score, but he's done all this other stuff. And then you start reading what they write, what they talk about. These guys were like brilliant. You know, it's it's a it's an untapped historical American kind of uh, endeavor that I'm hoping. And these orchestras playing this stuff is such a good way into this stuff. Well, one of the reasons we wanted to kind of revisit with you about all of this is because I, I find it very interesting that you have, you know, very like 80s, 90s, 2000s have the film the film composer career for whatever you know everything that that is it, but over the past few years yeah. and I, you mentioned even going back to 2007 but especially more recently your 
I'm sure being called all the time to say, hey, we have this thing in this corner of, you know, the world that really wants to do such and such concert and what's it going to take and can we get you out there and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. What do you think of that kind you probably wouldn't have ever predicted that in the 80s or 90s as a film composer mm-hmm. that you would be your career would be kind of going that the world would even have an audience for right. something like that. Yeah. But what do you think of the fact that you've kind of you're being called in that direction to kind yeah. of explore new areas? I I don't I don't know. We we, we I started my wife and my, my wife, Chris. Um, it really is my partner in, in all of this. She's also a wonderful musician. Um, I ran the Sundance Composers Lab, I think, from 1988 to for a couple of years. And we had a program. It was a clip show. It was more like the the the, the early 2000 aughts clip shows that, you know, the movie nights that we used to do that John Macherry did. And then when he left, I started doing that, you know. So we were doing it and then it just, you know, it sort of got kiboshed. And then here and there I would do a concert here, you know, something would come up and I would do it. But nothing ever stuck. I did a concert at the at Disney Hall when um, the hall was open the year after where I did a bunch of music from um, Chinatown with, you know, we had four pianos, four harps. Oh my God, what a score. Too bad there's only 30 minutes of music in that movie. That's a movie that should be done live. That score is incredible live. It, in a, you know, I did it at the bowl too, that one, the, that one cue, the opening cue. Um, so we were always thinking about it, Chris and I, and trying. And then I sort of stepped in when John Macherry left. So I started doing that, but you know, it was like once a year. And then, like I said, in 2011, it just exploded for some reason. I I worked on West Side Story probably the year before, so I knew it was coming, and I knew they were working on other stuff. And there was John Goberman, who had been doing, you know, North by Northwest and Psycho and da-da-da. But I had never done any of that stuff. And then I just started doing it. I mean, in my 20s, I had no interest in being a composer. I wanted to be a conductor. I spent my 20s gigging, playing violin, and studying conducting till I just sort of gave up, you know, and then I, and then I, you know, started film music, you know, but much of this stuff is just completely out of your one's control. You know, a lot of the movies that I did in the eighties and nineties and aughts, nobody's making anymore. A lot of the directors I work for aren't, you know, it's, it's different for me now doing film work. Um, Also, what is film work now? It's weird. It's like, (laughs) <laughs> it's all streaming and it's not it I mean there are movies here and there but it they it cut through yeah yeah but but it's it, fewer and far further between also you can't the the brilliant thing these guys figured out is to not tell you how successful it is so you can't use success there's no way to gauge success really you know um like I feel like you know West Side Story, the Spielberg thing that I worked on, which I'm really proud of, um, had that come out as a streamer rather than in a theater, I think it might have been in a way better for it because it's not really fair. I mean, there are movies that come out and make money, but that was pretty early on and people weren't going to the theater and it was in... You know, and and you can point to that and say, oh, that movie didn't make any money. So therefore, it's not, 
you know, and then you got like, you know, a big Zemeckis movie, Pinocchio coming out, you know, whatever you think of the movie coming out on Disney plus it's, it's, and then right. the music and, and I've done and it's some, gone in a, a beat yeah, and it's and, no longer in the conversation. Yeah. I mean, what is in the conversation now, aside from here and there, there are some things that are, you know, and, and, and I love television. I love episodic television, but it's just not the same art form as movies are. It just, it's too much music. Um, it's very, very difficult to do anything too much. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't accept a lot of musical input for want of a better way to, to, to put it. So I, I, these things have a way of cycling around. I think people will get tired of just streaming stuff, but I, I, the 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 worst thing about it is that there is, they won't say how successful a movie is because if they did they'd have to negotiate with the 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 creative people they just don't amazon all of they just don't get it yet that maybe they should act like studios and not corporate but i don't know you know content houses but i mean golf <laughs> yeah. and western owned um yeah. Paramount during Godfather was a whole thing that they had to get through. And somehow they those guys all made it work. And all those film companies were owned by corporations. But this is like... Well, I got to assume that it's got to be cyclical, right? Like there I must think, be something coming on the other side of this. I think people... That's is the thing about these movies with live orchestra. You're together with a lot of people. It's just, it's just different. I mean, I remember now, I used to hate it waiting in line to see Star Wars and Jaws and, you know, there was no cell phone to fuck around. You know, we, we, we waited almost three hours to get into Star Wars, the first Star Wars that we went to. And then we got right in line again at the end and waited three more hours to see it again. There was nothing you could do but talk to people and, or, you know, maybe somebody would go in, in West and get something to eat for or whatever. But, there was no cell phone. There was nothing to do but wait in line. And you could, there's no way to see anything like that opening shot. Well, the THX logo. There's no way to see anything like that except in a movie theater. That got more applause than the movie the first time I was in a theater that saw that saw Star Wars was that's THX logo. <laughs> I we thought yeah. that it should be in the yeah. um in the uh the movies, but Disney decided not to not to do that. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. At least David, they, at this least has been they, a blast. Least... We've covered so much ground yeah. on this. Um, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for talking absolutely, through all of this absolutely. stuff. I don't want to keep any longer, but no, okay. um, this has been a, amazing. So right. thank you so much. We we always have side conversations. And we're like, we, <laughs> we do. Talk any, any, we do, which is why we're just going rapid fire at you. <laughs> I'm, any, anytime I'm around. <laughs> thank you so much, David.